0: This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis and welcome to Kick-Ass News. When I was just a kid, the funniest show on television to me was The Carol Burnett Show. Long before I was old enough to stay up to watch Saturday Night Live or Johnny Carson... Carol Burnett introduced me to the mayhem and hilarity of sketch comedy. Who could possibly forget her soap opera parody as The Stomach Turns, or the skit called The Family, which was later spun off into the television series Mama's Family with her co-star Vicki Lawrence, and the ones where she played Queen Elizabeth with Harvey Korman as her king, both of them constantly foiled by the ridiculously funny Tim Conway as a wisecracking palace guard. And then there were the movie spoofs. Oh, the movie spoofs. With send-ups of films like Casablanca, Double Indemnity, From Here to Eternity, Mildred Pierce, Sunset Boulevard, Jaws, and of course, probably the most famous sketch of all, called Went with the Wind the takeoff on Gone with the Wind that featured Carol Burnett as Scarlett O'Hara wearing that famous green velvet dress with the curtain rod still left in it. The Carol Burnett Show ran for 11 seasons on CBS, winning 25 Primetime Emmy Awards along the way. In 2007, it was listed as one of Time Magazine's 100 Best TV Shows of All Time, and in 2013, TV Guide ranked The Carol Burnett Show number 17 on their list of the 60 Greatest Shows of All Time. Carol Burnett starred in the original Broadway production of Once Upon a Mattress, for which she received a Tony Award nomination, and The Gary Moore Show on television before getting her own TV show. In addition to the original Carol Burnett show, she starred later in the sketch comedy series Carol Burnett and Company and a revival of the Carol Burnett show in the early 90s. She's had many memorable guest appearances on television, including the Jack Benny program, the Lucy Show, Gomer Pyle, Get Smart, Here's Lucy, Sesame Street, The Sonny and Cher Show, The Muppet Show, All My Children, Magnum P.I., The Larry Sanders Show, Mad About You, Desperate Housewives, Glee, and Hawaii Five-O, along with her television specials like Julie and Carol at Carnegie Hall and later Julie and Carol Together Again, both of which co-starred her dear friend Julie Andrews. There was also Carol Plus Two, Sills and Burnett at the Met, Dolly and Carol in Nashville, Burnett Discovers Domingo, and Carol, Carl, Whoopi, and Robin, in addition to television movies that included Eunice and Plaza Suite and TV productions of musicals Once Upon a Mattress and Calamity Jane. Some of her film credits have included The Four Seasons, Annie, and Noises Off, Carol Burnett is the recipient of seven Emmy Awards, six Golden Globes, a special Tony Award, a Peabody Award, the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, the Screen Actors Guild Lifetime Achievement Award, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She has a new book out. It's a charming behind-the-scenes memoir about her 11-year run with The Carol Burnett Show. It's called In Such Good Company. 11 years of laughter, mayhem, and fun in the sandbox. And today, Carol Burnett sits down with me to reminisce about some of the best times she had on The Carol Burnett Show. She'll share stories about the spectacular ensemble cast, including Harvey Korman, Tim Conway, and Vicki Lawrence, including which one she almost fired, and which one could always crack her up in front of the cameras. She'll talk about the boys' club that was television in the 1960s and 70s. She'll reveal which comedy sketch she wished she hadn't done and how the classic Gone with the Wind spoof came about. She'll also talk about a prank she played on the producers and crew during the Q&A portion of the show and some of her favorite questions from the audience, plus some advice for young comedic actors and some exciting news about her big return to network television coming up with the delightful Carol Burnett in just a moment. Today I'm sitting down with Emmy, Golden Globe, and Tony Award-winning actress and comedian, the incomparable Carol Burnett. She has a new behind-the-scenes memoir about The Carol Burnett Show called In Such Good Company, 11 Years of Laughter, Mayhem, and Fun in the Sandbox. And also, I want to congratulate you on your new TV show.
1: Oh, thank coming you! Up. <laughs> thank That's you. exciting. Thank you. It's um, uh, actually we're doing a pilot, but uh, okay. And uh, Amy Polar is one of the producing entities. Wow. Yeah, for it. Yeah.
0: I have such fond memories when I was a kid. You were probably. My first exposure to television comedy, and certainly sketch comedy. No
1: kidding. And
0: I was probably on the tail end, I imagine, of the series, uh, the end of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have such fond memories of your show. Um, When did you first realize that you were funny?
1: Well, I don't know. Um, I I was very quiet in school. Really? Yeah. In fact, I wanted to be a journalist. Okay. And I was editor of my uh, Hollywood high school newspaper. And uh, so uh, the chance came for me to go to UCLA. And I was going to major in journalism, but they didn't have a major. Okay. And journalism. So I got on the, uh, the Daily Bruin, the school uh, newspaper, and then I looked through the catalog, and they had um, a theater arts English as a major. And so I thought, well, I'll take that, and then I can uh, uh, you know take the playwriting courses and things like that that they had there and still be on the Daily Bruin. But I didn't realize until I signed up for it that if you major in theater arts at UCLA... You have to take an acting course, a mm. scenery course, mm-hmm. costumes, all of that stuff as a freshman. So I I was nervous. I had taking an acting course and having to get up <laughs> in front of your st- fellow students in the class and do a scene. And so I did a scene and uh, it was a comedy. I just had a small part in it and um, they laughed. <laughs> and I thought, I like that feeling. Yeah. I I think maybe, so I started getting more and more involved in mm-hmm. doing uh, performance, and uh, it just kind of evolved that way, and wow. so when I finally went to New York and got on a couple of television shows, I got letters from kids I'd gone to school with who said, is that you?
0: Is that you that I went <laughs> yeah. to school
1: with? You know, because I was very quiet. I was a very good student yeah. and quiet.
0: Yeah, and I guess people wouldn't suspect that from the roles you've played. I know. (laughs) Like your breakout role was uh, Once Upon a Mattress on Broadway, which got you noticed by the television executives. Mm -hmm. When you first signed on to do the show with CBS, Mm -hmm. the CBS execs, I guess, were pushing you to do a sitcom. Am I right that they thought that America could handle a sitcom with a female lead, but not a variety show headed up by a woman?
1: That's right. But I had a a very wonderful clause in my contract for CBS uh, that said that if I wanted to do a comedy variety hour show, I would All I had to do was push the button, and they would have to put it on the air whether they wanted to or not. That was some good contract, I'll tell you. Yeah,
0: yeah. You got quite an attorney for you there.
1: (laughs) And uh, so when I decided to push the button, they had forgotten about it because five years had passed, and it was a 10-year contract. So. (laughs) They said, oh, Carol, no, come on. It's a man's game. It's Sid Caesar. It's Milton Berle. It's Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. Now it's Dean Martin. And, Mm. and, you know, we've got this great little sitcom we'd love you to do called, get this, Here's Agnes. Can you just (laughs) picture it? And I said, but variety is what I know because I'd done the Gary Moore show. And I want to do sketches. I want to have guest stars. I want to have music, dancing, just complete. And they had to put us on the air. If I hadn't had that contract, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about this now.
0: <laughs> yeah. you come from a theatrical background on Broadway, and mm-hmm. the show was more theatrical than TV as we know it now. Right. You had old school showbiz writers, you yeah. had a live orchestra and 28 it was very piece. much old yeah, old oh. school show business. Yeah. Is it sad to you? on some level that we've lost that entire form of sad the musical me, variety yeah, it's show. It's sad to
1: me on any level. Yeah. Because it was it was real show business. Yeah. You know, and we had such a good time and you know, 28 piece orchestra, my gosh. You don't, yeah. you won't see that today. They they would never spend the kind of money. Yeah. You know, that uh and back then it was a lot less expensive than it would be today. So right. you you would not see that Type of production anymore today? Yeah, because they wouldn't spend the money.
0: Yeah, and I think that it comes across on the show because the, just the energy that you yes. must have gotten from having a live orchestra, a live audience. Mm-hmm. You did almost all of this in one take.
1: We you did. Didn't, we yeah, did two you did shows it straight through. We did two shows on Friday, one at five o'clock and right. one at seven or eight o'clock, and we take both, you know, just for a safety and but with different audiences.
0: Am I correct that the first one, you would pretty much play it straight by the script, and the second one would be the one that you could kind of have fun with? Right, You and the cast.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, we didn't uh, do... It wasn't until Tim Conway got on this show, he wasn't a regular on the show from the beginning, that uh, we kind of went off script (laughs) a lot, because he was so brilliant improvising.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you said that he was the one person in the cast that could kind of work without a net and mm-hmm. <laughs> play around with the script right and, and it kind of backfired on you a little bit because he, he he was the one guy who could also get you to break character and I crack know, up i
1: know i know poor harvey who god bless him I, I miss him yeah uh he was a consummate comedic actor you know and he prided himself on, on being that but when conway got a hold of him harvey <laughs> could not control himself
0: now did you guys ever get your revenge on tim on Tim? Yeah.
1: Well, Vicki Lawrence, our, our darling Vicki, we were doing a, a family sketch, you know, where Vicki played Mama right. and I'm Eunice. right? And we were doing a sketch where we were playing the game Password. And Tim was my partner. He, he played Mickey, uh, who was a character in, in the family sketches. And uh, so he, at this one time, started improvising with a password that and uh talking about an elephant in the circus and he went on and on and on which it had not been planned on and on and on and i'm trying to keep it together you know and the audience is (laughs) laughing and tim's just roll on a roll (laughs) i guess i can say this to you or maybe you can bleep it but anyway so and i'm trying to give the password to vicky and say here, Mama, you go now, Mama. You know, come on, Mama. And Tim's to find, find me. Vicki says, you sure that little asshole's finished? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The audience screamed. The, uh, the stagehands bet. went crazy. The cameramen were screaming. And even Tim. She got Tim.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, that was one of my favorites, the mm-hmm. family sketches. And then you had a spinoff series of it. Yes. That was Mama's family. Mama's family. I love that. Yeah. But apparently, Cary Grant hated that. Why Cary did Cary Grant, Grant hate I, the family?
1: <laughs> he, uh, I was at a dinner party at Dinah Shore's house, and Cary was there, and I had met him beforehand. And uh, he got to talking about some of the sketches that he loved. See, he loved slapstick. Okay. because you know, in, in his early movies, he was a tumbler and he could take yeah. pratfalls and all kinds of stuff. You know, and he said, "But one exception: I don't like that family." <laughs> I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I said, you know, he said, they're just so unattractive and yelling at people and, blah, blah, blah. you know, and, uh, I said, I, I, re- I said, well, a lot of people like, you know, kind of like it. And he said, well, there's no accounting for taste. You know? <laughs> but, but as he was leaving that night, he kissed me on the cheek and he said, I hope I didn't you know, upset you. And I said, absolutely. Aww. No, he was so sweet. And then like a week later, I'm getting a manicure and, uh, from this Russian woman manicurist, and she says to me, "You know that family, you do." <laughs> I said, "Yes." So she said, "I love that family. It reminds me of my family in Russia." <laughs> so oh, I wow. guess there's no no accounting for taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. You
0: know, <laughs> that's such a Cary Grant like thing to say. I feel like, yeah, you know, I can completely picture him that not being his yeah. cup of tea. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, yeah, he he was very sophisticated, but he loved uh, he Slaps loved the, physical huh? comedy. Yeah. He okay. loved it when I fell out of a window or walked into a wall or fell what? downstairs or anything. He he loved that. That
0: sounds vaguely misogynist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well he used to do that in in some yeah. of his early movies. You yeah. know, he would take big Pratt Yeah,
0: and you took quite a few tumbles. Did yes, you ever I did. you never
1: hurt yourself? I got bruises here and yeah. there, but I never Knock on wood, I never (laughs) broke anything, which is kind of amazing because nobody ever taught me how to do it. I taught myself.
0: Yeah, you did all your own stunts. Yeah, wow.
1: Well, like in the Gone with the Wind, uh, you know, where she gets slapped and and falls down those stairs. I fell down those stairs six times that day because we did. It was always twice within the sketch, and we did the run through the dress rehearsal and then the air show. So six times tumbling down those stairs. You're and dedicated to your craft. I tell you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, you had such a fantastic ensemble. Yes. Um, you had, like we said, Tim Conway, Harvey Corman, Lyle Wagner. Later you had Dick Van Dyke on the mm-hmm. show. And of course, there was Vicki Lawrence, who I think everyone thought was your sister. I know as a kid, did, I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, you gave her her first big break. How mm-hmm. did you discover Vicky?
1: Well, Vicki wrote me a fan letter when she was 17. <laughs> and we uh, were planning, the, I got the letter the last week of 1966, and we were planning our show, which would premiere in September of 1967. And we had talked about... uh, Maybe a recurring sketch where Harvey and I would be a married couple raising my kid's sister. So I get this letter from this girl, and uh, I read it, and it was very intelligently written. She's getting ready to graduate from high school, and she said, Everybody says uh, that she reminds them of a young Carol Burnett. (laughs) And she included uh, a newspaper article. She was from Inglewood, California and this newspaper article was about her, her local newspaper um, being in the Miss Fireball of Inglewood contest and <laughs> in the article there was a photograph of her and i thought my gosh that she looks more like me at 17 than i did and i and then i re- you know reading the article that she was going to be in this contest i looked at the date and it was a very going to be that very night that i got the letter that afternoon <laughs> Because she would mailed it to CBS maybe three weeks before, and it finally got to me at home. And I thought, well, I wonder. And then I decided that my husband and I would go see the Miss Fireball contest. But I wanted to call Vicki first and make sure yeah. she'd be comfortable and I wouldn't make her nervous. And so her father's name was listed in the article, Howard Lawrence Inglewood. So I got the information, and I got the phone number, and I called her. And we went to see the show, and she won the contest. It was her nine girls or something like that. And uh, so the following, then they asked me, they saw me in the audience to come up and crown Miss Fireball. <laughs> and uh, so I just said, well, we'll be in touch, you know. And so the following summer, we got a hold of her and had her come and audition for us uh, to read the part of the kid's sister and there was another girl who had had a lot of experience but i i could see something in vicky even though she had no major experience at all and so we hired her and boy did she i say she, she started awesome. out as my kid sister and wound up being my mother <laughs>
0: yeah that's so funny yeah Yeah, and uh, I guess the network kind of resisted a little bit. Yeah, they did. But but she grew into it. And you said Harvey uh, helped her learn comedy and improvisation.
1: He was wonderful with her. He would uh, he taught her. He said, "Don't just wait for your cue. You have to listen to the other actor and Mm -hmm. all of that." And he taught her accents and all kinds of things like that. You know, and Vicky uh, Vicky was a sponge. She just absorbed it. And then boy, did she come through.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back to talk more with the remarkable Carol Burnett when we come back in just a moment. You did something that would probably seem unusual today. You were your kind of your own warm-up act yes. and you would go out in front of the audience before the performance portion began and take questions from the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about working without a net. Yeah. Were you or the network ever nervous about just throwing it out to the audience like that? And I was, <laughs> and at not first. Not having a comeback or not knowing what they might say? That's true.
1: Well, but see, we were taped, so if somebody, right. you know, so we, we had, that was, I did have a net, yeah. you know. But uh, I at first I balked big time i said no i can't do that i don't know how to do that or anything and uh, the producer uh, executive producer bob banner said look it really would be great if you would come out as yourself before you get into all the wigs and the frights you know (laughs) those fat suits and all of that so the people will get to know you Mm -hmm. so i said well okay but um if it doesn't work let's Let's not do it. I'll do it. I'll try it for three weeks or something like that. And the first show, I was pretty nervous. It's, I'll bet! Oh, wow! <laughs> I was afraid nobody would ask a question. Then I was afraid somebody would and I wouldn't have a snappy answer or yeah. whatever, you know. But after about two or three weeks, once the audience had seen the show, they, they knew got they got yeah. it. So they started coming prepared. We never had a plant, never a pre-planned question ever
0: okay and wow. but
1: and now i've I've the past twenty years, I've been going around the country every so often, and I do ninety minutes of Q and a, oh wow, in theaters across the country.
0: And I think one time you had a woman who submitted a song to you, and yep. you did it later. And then you had another woman who just wanted to sing, yep. and you just let her go up there yeah. right then yeah. and there. Oh,
1: it, uh, <laughs> you couldn't write that stuff. It yeah. was really fun. Yeah.
0: There's a great story in the book about how you played a prank on the crew in the sound booth during the Q and A. How did you get them?
1: Well, what happened was lots of times, you know, in Q and A, I would uh, all improvised, and somebody would. Ask a question, and uh, sometimes before I could answer, uh, the stagehands and the cameraman would be laughing. And I'm wondering, <laughs> uh oh, they're saying something in the booth because they all had earpieces where they could hear what was going on in the booth. And I realized that sometimes the booth would be talking back and uh, making a crack or something <laughs> about, you know, one of the questions. So this one time, I decided I'm going to get one of those earpieces so I can hear what's going on in the booth when I'm out there doing Q&A. So I had Bob Mackey, our costume designer, make right, me a Bob dress Mackey. with a turtleneck, yeah. right? Way, way high. And then I got one of the earpieces, and I put it in my ear, and I combed my hair over it, and the wire went down into the turtleneck so nobody could see that I was wearing... <laughs> <laughs> An earpiece, so I, now I hear, uh, uh I, I can hear the booth. I'm in the wings, waiting to go on, right? And I'm hearing, okay, five, four, three, two, cue Carol. Okay, and I am i realize, yeah, I can hear what's going on now. So I get out, and so one one in the audience said, um "When are you going to make a movie?" So I hear the director say, "Well." Who the hell cares, <laughs> you know, for themselves, you know? And then I paraphrased his answer. I said, oh, I'd love to, but who the heck would care? Now they well, They laughed they, because it was they thought it was a coincidence. coincidence. Then somebody said, would you do the Tarzan yelp? <laughs> and I heard Dave Powers, our director, say, oh, God, this is about the thousandth time she's gotten that question. And then I said, oh, I'd love to, but, you know, I must have been doing this a thousand times. <laughs> now they know. Uh-oh, she's got an earpiece, you know, come on. And so they get Pat Kenny, who was on camera for go fight, get get behind, look, look for the earpiece. And, of course, I'm playing it very straight, like I can't hear what they're saying. And it was kind of tough because they were yelling at me at one point, yeah. you know, and I'm just, I was very cool with it. And yeah oh it, my was, God, oh, it was oh it was such and on the way home my husband who was a co-producer uh, he said were you wearing an airpiece I said what <laughs> are you talking about So I never admitted it
0: Oh man you weren't like Joan Crawford you weren't like the lady boss barking orders and no. you didn't demand a lot of rewrites and stuff You said that you pretty much stayed out of the writers room and you didn't fight too much for you know changes to skits or well, things I, like that
1: actually if there was See, in those days, uh, Jackie Gleason or Milton Burl, mm-hmm. you know—if a sketch wasn't working, they'd get with the right side. You know, guys, this stinks. Yeah. You know, come on. Yeah. Make it better. Well. In those days, if a woman did that, she would not be considered very nice. You know, the B word. (laughs) And so I would tiptoe around it. And if the sketch wasn't working, I'd call the writers into the rehearsal hall and say, can you guys help me out here? I'm not doing this very Mm -hmm. well. Can you give me maybe another, can you think of another line that I could say better? And that was the way we did it.
0: You did mention in the book that I guess – uh, sometimes you got talked into sketches that you really didn't want to do. Yeah. Was there ever one that you got talked into that you wish you had put your foot down on?
1: Yeah, that was one where I was going to sing a song and we had a whip artist <laughs> was going to whip off parts of my clothing.
0: That made it past the censors? <laughs> that
1: Oh, well, no, but I would be left with wearing funny underwear, ah, you okay. know, so that was okay. And But he, was a, he wasn't very good at uh, being a whip artist, and so in the first show uh he nicked my shoulder. Oh. Yeah, and uh drew a little blood and I had to put a, a band-aid on it for the second show. I went out like a fool to do the second show. <laughs> and this time the the premise was he would be whipping off parts of my costume yeah. during the song. And then the very end of the song there was he would there was one place where he would whip and the whole skirt would fall off and I'd be finishing the song in this funny looking underwear. The second show unfortunately he whipped off everything at the beginning oh, <laughs>
0: so, so you had no you yeah, no had gag.
1: no gag no gag at all and i just stood there <laughs> singing the whole song in this funny underwear <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: Oh. um and of course you have probably everyone's favorite is the gone with the wind parody yeah. how did the scarlet o'hara dress come about
1: that's bob mackie's genius okay costume the great designer mackie yeah, um, it was a brilliant sketch, actually. It was 20 minutes long, and we really yeah. touched on every subject in the original movie. And But uh, they had written that I would come down the stairs, you know, make, after having made a dress from the draperies, uh, but with the draperies just hanging on me. <laughs> and Bob Mackey said, you know, that's not that funny. You know, let's, we've got to do something else there. So I went into the costume fitting That Wednesday, and we were going to tape on a Friday. And Bob said, I have an idea. Come on, come in here. And there it was with the curtain rod. I (laughs) fell on the floor. I said, this is going to be one of the funniest sight gags ever in the history of television. And it was. That costume... Is in the Smithsonian now.
0: (laughs) You know, poor Bob Mackey, this brilliant artist of a costume designer, and that's probably the dress he will be most known for. That's what he said. He (laughs) He says it'll
1: probably be on his tombstone. (laughs) You know, he designed 60 to 70 costumes a week. Wow. Everything you saw on the show, up with the dancers' wore the guest stars, all the sketches. He created the looks for Eunice and Mrs. Wiggins and and, uh, designed the wigs, everything. And I added it up. I just said, okay, let's say average 65 a week, Yeah. 276 shows, comes to over 17,000 costumes in 11 years that he designed. Oh, my God. I I don't know of anybody else who has ever accomplished and did it so beautifully. Yeah,
0: and I'm amazed at the pace you guys maintained. And you kept a pretty normal kind of 9 to 5 schedule. It was great. A lot of people forget Half of the show was musical numbers because mm-hmm. those got cut out in syndication. That's so right. mo- many generations probably think it was just a sketch show. Right. And you would do that. So you have rehearsals, you have script meetings, you have choreography. choreography. Yeah,
1: yeah, music, uh, yeah. everything. Yeah. And uh, it's. Uh,
0: My God.
1: But we did it like a, it was kind of like putting on. A live well it's like summer stock.
0: I was gonna say it's like hey kids, let's put on a put show put on a show,
1: <laughs> you rehearse it for a week and you do it. Yeah. You know, and uh and most of us came from a theater background, so yeah. we did we seldom had to stop or do pickups or anything like that. You yeah, know, I I wanted it to have that live feeling and that's what we got.
0: Yeah. And you had this amazing array of guest stars. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite or one that was a childhood hero? Well, I "I had a few of those. Yeah.
1: I mean, because I was raised, uh, my grandmother and I used to go to movies when I was growing up in the 40s. And sometimes I saw as many as eight movies a week. Wow. (laughs) Because they were double features and we'd go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'd go on a Saturday and a Sunday and, you know. so And um, so I grew up watching Betty Grable. Rita Hayworth, yeah. uh, Bing Crosby—you uh, know, unbelievable. So when they came on my show, I was—I was pretty starstruck, you know. And that—that uh, that was wonderful to have to, you know, grow up in there. Now you're working with the people that you fell in love with as a kid.
0: Yeah, what a treat!
1: And now, as the regulars, uh, guest stars, Steve Lawrence was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know. In fact, uh, he he was one of my favorite um, guests doing sketches. And, you know, he's a great singer.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And so when we went into syndication, you know, and all the music was cut out, Steve said that one time he and his wife, Edie uh, Gourmet, were in an airport, and these teenage girls ran up to him and said, Oh, you're that funny guy on the Burnett show.
0: Oh, that's they had great. No that must have thrilled them. <laughs> they
1: had no idea he could sing. Yeah. You know, and Bernadette Peters was uh, the first guest we ever signed. Wow. And Ken Berry was always a yeah. wonderful yeah. regular, you know. Yeah. So we had yeah. some terrific, terrific guests.
0: Yeah. And, you know, again, you had such a great ensemble cast yeah. as the regular cast. You know, at, I guess Harvey Corman apparently could be a little bit of a pain every now and then. <laughs> he oh, could get into a mood. Apparently, yeah. I didn't realize this. At one point, you fired him, sort of. <laughs> what What happened oh, there?
1: Oh well, uh, he he was in a bad mood this one Friday morning when we were uh, doing a pre-tape thing, and he kind of snapped at uh, one of our guests. Oh, you know, I mean, he he didn't snap, but he was rude. Yeah, you know. And I went up to. I said, "Harvey, you know he can snap at me because we could always get him out of it because he was we could turn him on a dime, <laughs> yeah. and then he'd be his wonderful self." And I said, "You can't do." It. He said, "Well, I'm just not happy." I said, "What's wrong with?" You? He said, "I'm not happy doing this." I said, "Oh, okay." And so we went and taped the show, and I said, "I want to see you after the show." So I went to his dressing room and I said you're really unhappy and he said yes I am I mean he was just having a bad day yeah. I said okay then don't come back don't come back next week you're off the show and he said what are you talking about I said well you're not happy here I said and you know you can snap at me and and Vicky and you know cuz we we love you and we we know you're going to change on a dime anyway and be your but you can't do that to a guest yeah and he said, but I have a contract. I said, well, you know, <laughs> he and now. it's called Yeah. And I said, well, are you asking for a reprieve?
0: <laughs> and he
1: said, yeah, yes, I am. I'm sorry. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Next Monday, when we all get together to start rehearsing the next show, when I see you, I want you to skip and whistle down the hall at CBS. So. That Monday, I was headed for the ladies' room uh, before we were going to do our script reading. The elevator door opened, and Harvey stepped out, and we just stared at each other for a moment. And then he went, (laughs) and started whistling and skipping down the hall. I cracked up. And so uh, that following week, I had a plaque made up and put it on his dressing room door, Mr. Happy Go Lucky. <laughs> and he loved to tell that story to people about how I fired him.
0: How funny. He
1: got a big kick out of it. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> well at least there's no hard feelings, I None. guess. None. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's definitely no hard feelings now. But <laughs> yeah, poor, but, uh, poor no, guy. We, we, what a genius. Oh he was. Yeah.
1: He was. Comedic yeah. genius.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, again, you talk about in the book the difference between television today versus then. When the format was musical variety and everything was done in front of a live studio audience, you had a full orchestra. The writers were old mm-hmm. school showbiz writers as opposed to like some young kid fresh out of Harvard. Right. Um, are you at all in between us a little nervous about getting no. into TV after no. so, so much has changed? No.
1: Well, I just uh, I think I'm going to put my foot down now that I, I can. <laughs> I don't want a lot of interference from networks. From yeah. the network, I I don't know how we're going to deal with it, but uh, you know we we did very well before, and some of these suits they don't know comedy for you know, right. You got to tell yeah, so uh, yeah.
0: And, I, yeah, and in your day, the network pretty much backed off. They were right? terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be exciting. Um, before we wrap up here, treat me like a young kid who's just coming to Hollywood and asking for some advice. Do you have any secrets or rules for comedic timing or I sketch comedy are, that you live by? Uh,
1: I don't think there are any rules that you can say. Yeah. You, you either have it or you have not But what helps is getting practice. Yeah. Definitely, you know. But uh, I think you're born with timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you can certainly improve. Yeah. You know. And uh, also another thing about tr- trying out and auditioning, uh, I... I was lucky enough when I went to New York to get some sort of an idea in my head that, okay, well, for instance, I auditioned for a Broadway show, Small part, and it was narrowed down to me and another girl, and I thought I had it, but I didn't, and she got it, but thank God I felt, I said, you know what, it's her turn, Hmm. it's not my turn. Yeah. So that kept me from being discouraged. And I say yeah. this to young people say, if you, if you, you got to have the fire in the belly, mm-hmm. you know, to want to oh, do yeah. this. But if you get uh, turned down for something, don't be discouraged because it just wasn't your turn yet. It was yeah. the other person's turn. And that is, that really helped me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, the book is called In Such Good Company 11 Years of Laughter, Mayhem, and Fun in the Sandbox. And it's a blast to read. Carol Burnett. I completely adore you
1: and thank you, you so
0: much for taking time to talk to me. Thank you. Isn't she just wonderful. Thanks again to the delightful and charming Carol Burnett for joining me. And I wish her the very best on her new TV pilot. I for one can't wait to see it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then you can order her book in such good company. 11 Years of Laughter, Mayhem, and Fun in the Sandbox on Amazon. Or you can download the audio version for free through that special trial offer just for our listeners at audibletrial.com kickassnews. Reruns of The Carol Burnett Show air in syndication on MeTV and Time Life has released box sets of The Carol Burnett Show on DVD which you can order at timelife.com. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at, at KAPolitics. And please be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com kickassnews. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.